saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Happy New Year, everybody. We are back in with the first installment of 2022 of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am merely the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is the purveyor, the owner, the operator, the guy you read all the time and you hear on this podcast from SportsMediaWatch.com. John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson, back in the new year. Happy 2022, my friend. A lot to cover and get uh, more insight from you on. Go over. How are things? How, how is the new year? Well, you know, uh, very busy. You know, uh, got to hit the ground running, right? So, uh, very busy start to the new year, but uh, a lot of stuff going on in the industry. Definitely a very jam-packed day, and uh, certainly on the rating side, and then uh, with some other things as well. So yeah, good we to be back. Uh, good to be back with you. We got plenty, plenty to cover since last you and I were here. The college football playoff championship game participants have been decided. Two semifinal games that took place. Last Friday, at the time we're taping, New Year's Eve afternoon and New Year's Eve. Neither one of them very close. Surprisingly, the Georgia-Michigan primetime game, a blowout, as it turns out, in the Orange Bowl for Georgia. Not surprising also, John Lewis, that those games turn out to be the lowest rated in recent memory. Going back again to previous New Year's Eve afternoon and New Year's Eve games. So they did take a hit. How much of that, let's just get right into it. How much of that do we blame on New Year's Eve afternoon where some people are still working, et cetera, versus New Year's Eve? And how much do you combine it with they weren't very competitive games that also may have hurt the ratings? What do you know? What do you think? Well, I mean, it's a combination of both, right? Uh, one, you know, this is the SEC Invitational, right? Uh, and these aren't even good games. Remember the last time Alabama and Georgia met in the final in the semifinals, Georgia played a really, really compelling game against Oklahoma that was one of the best Rose Bowls we've seen. Certainly one of the best Rose Bowl semifinals. Uh, you know, this time around, two ugly blowouts. Neither game was even remotely compelling. Frankly, I think ESPN should be pretty glad that it managed to get an eight rating for both of those games. That's the power of college football. 
But, you know, look, I mean, New Year's Eve is a bad day for these games. Even if they'd been good games, you can't expect to get really strong ratings for, I mean, basically it's a Friday afternoon start. It's like a day game in the baseball playoffs, you know. Uh, ultimately, you can't have too high expectations. And they're going to need to uh, tell the Rose Bowl what's what and uh, get January 1 for both of the semifinals going forward. They can't continue to let the Rose Bowl and certainly not the Sugar Bowl dictate when these uh, semifinals are going to be played. You have brought that up in the past. I just I have to respectfully disagree. The Rose Bowl is never going to budge. The Rose Bowl will say to the powers that be at ESPN or the powers that be at the college football playoff. If you want to work it out somehow, some other way with other bowl games around us, fine. If you don't want us to participate in it, fine. And their leverage is they'll go to the big 10 and the PAC 12 and say, we'll take your champions again. If you don't want to participate in that silly little playoff, come play in the Rose bowl. I just don't foresee them ever budging from late afternoon Eastern time, around five Eastern time to Pacific time from that slot. I don't, I don't think they're going to do it. So I guess you and I are going to disagree on that one. We'll see. But they've done it before, right? I mean, the, in the BCS, it only happened twice, but whenever the Rose Bowl in the initial iteration of the BCS, when the national championship was hosted by the bowl game, mm-hmm. those two years, the Rose Bowl was during the week. And on New Year's Day, the Fiesta Bowl took that time slot. So, you know, if the Rose Bowl could make that adjustment back then, I mean, there's no reason realistically, you know, no justification for them, you know, deciding that they can't do it now. I mean, the stakes are much higher. College football needs these semifinal games to be on New Year's Day. Uh, and uh, ultimately, if, if I were in charge and the Rose Bowl was being very stubborn about it, I'd just say, okay, well, we'll call your bluff. Go enjoy being on Fox every year while the semifinal games are on ESPN in the same window. Because, yeah, obviously that would hurt everybody. But, you know, the Rose Bowl would eventually have to move. It it would not be able to just continue every year to lose out to the semifinal game in the same time slot. And it is uh, a great point that you make. In fact, uh, the two times were both – um, interesting because it was Texas and USC in that championship game the first time around, which was phenomenally rated and had so many storylines with Heisman Trophy winners and Vince Young and a dramatic finish. Then the other game was Alabama and Texas where Colt McCoy, the Texas quarterback, got hurt on like the second play of the game and Alabama dominated and blew Texas out and there wasn't much drama at all in that game. Uh, but again, it's isn't it worth worth mentioning? Those were the only games on that night when they were doing that by design for the BCS title game. Did I leave something out on that? Well, I was going to say uh, when Alabama and Texas met, that was in the second iteration of the BCS. So the Rose Bowl was played on New Year's Day that year. I think it might have been Ohio State, Oregon. Uh, the other year of the first iteration of the BCS, and I understand why you would forget this. It was Miami, Nebraska. Very low-rated game. People weren't really into that matchup. I think a lot of folks thought Nebraska got in there and didn't deserve to, and so the ratings weren't very good. That was the first time that the Rose Bowl moved off of New Year's Day, and the Fiesta Bowl took that slot. Okay, so we'll see what they end up doing with that, and we'll see what happens with the Monday night championship game. I always love this about John Lewis. I did not mention this at the very top of the podcast. By the way, however you found the podcast on sportsmediawatch.com's website or through social media, 
Uh, make sure that you are following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Spreaker, wherever you get podcasts, you can subscribe to this podcast. It will come automatically to you. Usually earlier in the week, we come out recapping what we saw off the weekend, kind of setting the table for the week. So if you are following or subscribing, you'll get it automatically. Um, the Monday night championship game is looming. Do I get a prediction from you on how you think it will do if something around 16 million or so were watching the two semifinal games, each one of them, Alabama, Cincinnati, and also Georgia, Michigan? Do you want to speculate on what a Southern uh, tinged championship game Alabama, Georgia does in primetime Monday night, John? Well, the last time that they played in the title game four years ago, it was really strong. I think maybe 28 million viewers, 26 million. It's not going to do that well this time. Uh, ultimately, you know, the same matchup again, the same regional matchup. I think people are tired of this SEC business. And the fact is college football is not as big a draw as it was four years ago, at least not for uh, this time of the season. Uh, ultimately, I think if you're ESPN, you got to be satisfied with 19, 20 million. I think maybe 21, 22 million is in play. You know, the fact is it'll be a close game, you would think, right? Now, these are two teams that play each other well, and people might be upset about it being an all-SEC matchup, but they're going to tune in for, you know, if a national title is at stake and it's close in the fourth quarter, which you have not gotten the last several years in a row. Last year was not close. The year before, LSU-Clemson, if anyone can even remember that that was a matchup in the title game, that wasn't close the year before that. Clemson, Alabama wasn't close. Regional as this may be, if it's close, I think that'll be uh, all the SVN needs. So, uh, of course, you never know. Bama did blow out Georgia just now in the SEC title game. Let's see if they get a more competitive one on Monday night. One interesting aspect that we kind of segue to the NFL along with this is that Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet will not only call that national title game, you back it up two days, they are calling one of the regular season finale games on ESPN of the NFL season. They will work the Kansas City-Denver game Saturday afternoon, so they are double dipping. This goes back to something else we've talked about on the podcast. Are they potentially grooming Fowler and Herbstreet to work Monday night football, that they might become the Monday night football guys where they will be a marquee a Saturday night game in college football followed by the final game of the NFL weekend on Monday night every week. I don't know that that's what's going to happen, but there are a lot of people reading the tea leaves and saying maybe this is practice over and over again for how they're going to do it. What do you make of it, John, that they're going to lead off the NFL's finale weekend, Fowler and Herbstreet, on that Chiefs-Broncos game on ESPN Saturday? Well, I was surprised that they brought them back just because of the proximity to the title game. You know, look, nobody in this industry is really suffering. It's not, you know, the hardest work in the world, but the travel is ridiculous last week. I mean, it's absurd to be flying people from Miami to the Rose Bowl on, on consecutive nights. And they laughed about it on the air, but that's ridiculous. You, you can't you, you can't be expecting your employees to be at the height of their abilities when they probably didn't even get adequate sleep. You know, so uh, look, ultimately... Um, I don't know why you would want to overwork your number one team. I don't know why you'd want them working a completely meaningless Chiefs Broncos game 48 hours before their biggest telecast of the season. Seems a little ridiculous to me, but you know, I mean, it is what it is, right? Uh, you know, but, uh, 
I think one of the things we don't ever really think about this industry is like overworking people because no one's going to have any sympathy for anyone who's making millions of dollars calling a game. But it comes down to beyond the concerns about how you treat people, it also comes down to quality, right? How can, I mean, how can you realistically expect high quality every time out when you're, you know, I mean, you've got, they should be preparing for the national championship right now, right. not for Mahomes versus Denver. And to your point, Kirk Herbstreet in particular caused a lot of controversy with comments he was making on ESPN's game day pregame show on New Year's Day from the Rose Bowl, where he literally had had been doing the Orange Bowl the night before until about midnight. He's now on the air in Los Angeles nine hours later after flying, obviously, all night on private aircraft to be out there. And there was more than one somewhat serious comment of, is he truly even awake and aware of the mess he is stepping in here, where Herb Street in particular was seemingly – taking the side of the machine, if you will, of the multi, multi-million dollar machine of college football where everybody makes out, everybody makes their money, especially the coaches at the highest end, especially the broadcasters at the highest end, but he's somehow knocking the players who don't want to play in the bowl games for lessening, lessening the product. When Herbstreet was a player himself that was uh, at one time involved in this, so I think you bring up a good point there that maybe a more rested, fresher Kirk Herbstreet would have had a better take or a different outlook than a fatigued, grouchy, crotchety Kirk Herbstreet on little sleep flying all night to L.A. to be on the Pasadena pregame show in the morning. Yeah. And, you know, look, they could easily have had Fowler and Herbstreet do the Cotton Bowl and have the afternoon game, you know, Uh I don't know. It was a weird decision. It was really weird. And they flew out the same studio team, too. Back in the day, and yes, just going way back with the late, great John Saunders, they had more than one studio team for college football for exactly this circumstance. So even in the early days of the BCS, you know, if you had the Rose Bowl on one day and, you know, the Sugar Bowl was on the next day, you weren't flying the same studio team from the Rose Bowl to the Sugar Bowl. You had one in Pasadena and you had one in uh, Louisiana. Uh, and ESPN, I mean, I know they're tightening those, uh, you know, the, 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 the strings lately. But I mean, I think you can afford to send, I don't know, uh, Matt Barry to one of these things right. and just maybe lessen the load a little bit on your talent. Yeah, and they and they will use everybody in Indianapolis, all kinds of studio shows and everything, and be on multiple channels and a mega cast and all of that. To your point, to roll them all out, and maybe you need to use it better in, in the different sites. Uh, also, with that, uh, similar subject. Okay, the NFL is wrapping up with its regular season finale weekend. As I made mention, the ESPN games on Saturday. That is something new to have a double header for them. On Saturday, the Dallas-Philadelphia game will be done by the Monday night crew of Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick on Saturday night. Full slate of games on Sunday, and then the winner take all. The winner is in, the loser is out, essentially a playoff game. Chargers and Raiders is the NBC Sunday night game. Before we get to the final slate, the, the this past weekend's ratings were once again strong, um, leading things. Uh, right into what was supposed to be a Green Bay-Minnesota game that would have a lot of bearing on playoff positioning. But it turns out Kirk Cousins, the Minnesota quarterback, was COVID-19 positive, never played in the game as a one-sided game. Green Bay won it easily on Sunday night. But the Sunday afternoon games apparently did fantastically well, again, especially in the early window for the ratings. And now we get 
by design that the the final weekend has a bunch of playoff implications with everybody playing somebody in your division. Every game involves a division head-to-head matchup and a lot of them with playoff implications. So, John, off of last week, do we have thoughts on the final NFL regular season weekend before we get to the playoffs? Yeah, I think the NFL has you know, had a great year. Going to end with another strong uh, performance uh, coming up in week 18. You know, obviously the ESPN games are not overwhelmingly thrilling, but, you know, hey, ESPN gets another Cowboys-Eagles matchup. I'm sure they're happy about that. I remember not too long ago when ESPN did some journalism the NFL didn't like, and so the NFL decided they were going to hammer ESPN with every terrible game they could, you know, basically (laughs) harming their own product, Monday Night Football, to ding ESPN. And then, you know, ESPN, of course, uh, said, okay, we'll never, we'll never hurt you again. Don't worry. And uh, now they're getting both Cowboys Eagles games in a year. That's amazing. The NFL is trying to take ESPN's playoff game. The, the NFL gave Fox the NFL draft. They did everything they could to put the squeeze to ESPN. And well, now you're seeing the results of that. You know, uh, ESPN now has a much better schedule. And when was the last time you heard anything really damaging about the NFL on ESPN? I understand those two things are related. And you know what else is related is they gave them more money to renew uh, as well or in the process of giving them more money. And they got a playoff game in primetime now. Instead of it just being the early Saturday on wildcard weekend, it will be a Monday night primetime game. And in my world, the rumors are everywhere with the Buccaneers having qualified for the playoffs, having qualified for a home game, that it may be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer Tom Brady Monday night game. Who knows for sure, John? We got to get there first on what they're going to do. Maybe they use Mahomes in Kansas City. They can't use Aaron Rodgers because the Packers have the bye week. They're not playing. So what does the NFL do with scheduling that game, uh, which, which again, what are they going to do with the winner of that game? Because there's a lot of conjecture about what an advantage for a Saturday playoff team versus a team playing on Monday night when both have to play the next weekend. And you theoretically get, I mean, you're absolutely going to get six days of rest. If you played Saturday to Saturday, you get seven days of rest. If it's Saturday to Sunday, the most you're going to get is six days of rest if it's Monday to Sunday, but you might only get five days of rest. If they make the Monday night team play Saturday, I can't believe they would do that for the first wild card weekend. So it's probably six days of rest Monday to Sunday for whoever wins that Monday night game. We will see. Yeah, I think uh, definitely the Monday night winner gets the Sunday, probably the Sunday late window. Like I mean, the the NFL thing to do, that'd be the equitable fair thing to do, but the NFL isn't always fear and equitable though. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very true uh, on that one. And again, we'll watch how these games all play out, especially in the late afternoon. I was surprised by this, uh, that, for example, in the AFC playoff race, you have the Buffalo Bills playing in the late afternoon against the New York Jets. I realize that the Jets are not very good, despite the fact they had my Buccaneers on the ropes. The Bills are supposed to win. They're heavily favored. That's more of a New York-themed game. It It will mainly only be on in New York. New England, meanwhile, has qualified for the playoffs but could still win the division. They're playing in Miami, so that game's going to be on in Miami. It's going to be on everywhere in New England. I was surprised that Jim Nance and Tony Romo aren't working one of those two games in the AFC. Instead, they're on the Buccaneer-Carolina game, which a lot of the rest of the country is going to see outside the Northeast and outside of Miami. A lot of the rest of the country is going to see it on CBS. 
So that's and that's the Tom Brady factor again, John. Yep. I was I was surprised to see that with the CBS number one crew being here for for what should be we think a fairly one sided Buccaneer win against a Carolina team that's lost like six in a row to end out the regular season. But it shows you the power of Brady and CBS wanting to attach themselves to that because they don't get him obviously in the NFC playoffs. Um, that this would be the last chance for them to do a, a game involving Tom Brady. Yep. Well, not necessarily, because remember that CBS wildcard game is not tied to any specific conference. Last right. year it was Spears Saints. Remember the game that okay. they do with Nickelodeon. So this I don't know if that. I, I love that you keep me in my lane. This is why you are who you are. So you're right. They could have it the next week. Great point. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that that's going to happen because I'm not a hundred percent sure where this year's late Sunday wildcard game fits in contractually. Right. Cause remember it was all in this fog of the initial uh, lockdowns and all of that. When the news broke that the NFL was awarding those two new wildcard games, one to NBC and one to CBS. I actually don't really know if that was a situation where there was an option picked up for mm -hmm. the next year or what. Uh, I'm assuming it's the same deal as last year, right? So uh, if, if that's the case, I would actually expect CBS to get an NFC game because, of course, I mean, if you, 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 you're the AFC rights holder, you have the opportunity to air an NFC playoff game. The NFC is the power conference. That is the conference with all the teams people enjoy watching. Wouldn't shock me, you know, if uh, if they got the Cowboys even. So um, and remember that CBS now contractually gets the biggest window on Wildcard Weekend late Sunday afternoon. Uh, right. So uh, that's the window, the glamour window for the glamour teams. And that may very well end up being a 30, 35 million viewed game. Oh, yeah. Uh, on that opening weekend, especially if it's the Cowboys, if that is the case. We're covering several subjects here as we rock along on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. By the way, we had not made mention on the previous podcast right around Christmas time uh, and with the passing of John Madden when we did a special one uh, here, Michelle Tafoya. Uh, there was some controversy about whether or not she was suspended or not quietly, privately for comments that she had previously made on other programming, on radio interviews, and on the television syndicated show, The View. Uh, she gave some political comments. Uh, she gave some COVID-19 comments. Michelle Tafoya came out, though, and said, hey, I, I had asked for these certain games off at the end of the year, including when the schedule came out about not doing January the 2nd in Green Bay and freezing to death. Um, so now she will be back on for their playoff coverage uh, of the upcoming game with the Chargers or the, actually the regular season finale here, Chargers-Raiders, like a playoff game. She'll be back on for the NBC playoff game, and, of course, they have the Super Bowl. John, what are your thoughts about any or all of this with Michelle Tafoya, a long-respected female broadcaster here in that whole situation? I know you had some things you wanted to say real quick. Well, yeah, you know, obviously a lot of people don't believe that there's no intent behind Tafoya reportedly leaving, uh, as Andrew Marchand reported last month. But, you know, she came out and said that, everything that was happening was according to plan that she agreed to this. And if Michelle Tafoya is the political firebrand that people want to believe her to be, there's no reason why she would protect NBC in that scenario. It just doesn't make sense. So if NBC is punishing her and firing her, there is no reason why she would have said publicly as she did that it was all according to plan and that she specifically chose the weeks off that she had. Uh, uh, and so I, I believe her, you know, uh, generally, 
ESPN aside, most of the time, uh, there's not some kind of big fake story that they're putting out. I say ESPN aside because we all know the ESPN method of, oh, no, Rachel Nichols is just on vacation. And they actually really fired her. But for the most part, outside of Bristol, if people are telling you you this person is off for the week, they're off for the week. It's not going to be dramatically more to it than that. That's a perfect segue to the Rachel Nichols conclusion at ESPN, which kind of meekly, quietly uh, has come to an end here at the end of the calendar year 2021. John, we talked to the, about that subject at length. You've written about it at length on sportsmediawatch.com. So she is gone. I wonder again what your opinion is on where she resurfaces. I have my thought, but you go first, please. Where do you, where and when, how soon, maybe even in this NBA season, if you believe it, do you think that Rachel Nichols reappears? Well, I think Turner and NBA TV would make the most sense. Um, Turner, as I've mentioned before, you know, Turner has Charles Barkley. They're not overwhelmingly affected by social media backlash. I'm sure there'll be the, you know, typical, you know, social media stuff that we see on Twitter all the time uh, once Rachel is hired and has a new show. Um, I don't think she'll get back to doing stuff like The Jump. Uh, One, especially given how ESPN pit women against each other uh, with Rachel and Maria Taylor and all that absolute nonsense. I don't think that Nichols or Turner are looking to put her in a position where she's crowding out a Kristen Ledlow or a Stephanie Reddy. Uh, So I think she will not necessarily have an enormous role, but, you know, putting her back on the sidelines, uh, you know, uh, giving her a few interviews here or there and just kind of having a, isn't it fascinating? We're talking about Rachel Nichols, the way that we would talk about Marv Albert in the late nineties. When you think about the sheer massive difference between uh, one sin and the other, Marv had a, a year off, remember? Marv, who, I mean, you know, look, Marv is one of the greatest voices of all time, but we're talking about some pretty serious felony charges that he was facing. And he was gone for a year and had to work his way back up, started on the MSD sports desk, and then in a few other small assignments, lower up on the NBA and the uh, on the depth chart behind Mar- uh, Bob Costas and a few other folks, and then eventually got back to doing the finals. It's absurd in the extreme that we should talk about Rachel Nichols in the same sense, but she's probably going to have to do, incredibly, the Marv Albert return, which is steadily until you're just kind of back at the top and no one's really asking questions. Uh, Not to equate at all Rachel and Marv, because they're not the equivalent at all, but in this world nowadays, we kind of treat you know, words like felonies. So now Rachel is in a position where she's got to, you know, kind of have that same comeback. I, I wonder if she doesn't end up on like an Amazon or a streaming service doing an NBA show or maybe an everything interview show. Remember, she was at CNN for a couple of years and a, and a good friend of mine was actually her producer traveling around and they were doing everything. They were doing all sports with her at events, with her doing interviews. I wonder if she won't end up doing something like that at a non-traditional, not an NBA network, not a not an ESPN, not a Fox, one of those. Let's see where she ends up. And let me and let me say a couple of other things. She was a beat writer 
uh, in Washington, D.C., and I even believe for the hockey team, for the Washington Capitals for a little while before she started doing the Washington Wizards, where she was traveling all over the country on commercial aircraft with layovers, having to cover a team, cover practice, cover the postgame thing, write a story that is that is nowhere near uh, the higher level, easier task of just simply broadcasting as part of a game, broadcasting a game or hosting a pregame show. Not nearly the same thing being a beat writer and having to travel to eight Western cities, for example. If you're a beat writer of the Washington Capitals, you might be in eight Western cities over the course of 11 or 12 days or whatever it is in the NHL. She she really paid dues and cut her teeth uh, doing that. I don't see her doing a beat job like that again, but I could see her maybe going the interview sports personalities be at the biggest events and get a deal with a streaming service to maybe be like that. Just my thought on that. Do you have a quick reaction to that before we move on? Sure. I mean, there's all sorts of different things that she could do. You know, Michelle Beadle, who was also cast away from ESPN and uh, sent into, what is it? What's the right word for it? There's something from like star, not Star Trek, but Superman where you're like often some kind of, limbo maybe limbo limbo is what i'm getting at but i'm thinking of something specific to like the superman what it was superman if you you were caught in the never never land or the underworld or whatever we were watching we were watching the matrix uh the other night and i don't know if you were big into the matrix movies but in the third one neo is trapped down in the train station which is the world below the machine world but not in the awakened world uh, of uh, of what uh, Morpheus and company has. So he was stuck in, in the train station. He was stuck in the train world. That's kind of the metaphor that you're also looking for, I guess. Yeah. You know what it is? It's, it's, a, it's a family guy or American dad cutaway where uh, Kermit, <laughs> <laughs> Kermit and uh, who was the puppeteer for that? Uh, the famous puppeteer? Uh, Jim, Jim Henson? You mean Jim yeah. Henson? Yes. So, yeah, Kermit and Jim Henson were like flying through space in some weird glass pane. I don't know what. <laughs> I've that not was a seen this. I'm just punchy and I'm laughing at your describing it. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, that that's that's kind of whatever that reference was, and I think it was just something from Superman because I'm I'm getting some kind of Emperor right. Zod feeling from it. Yep. Long story yep. short, very long story short, Beetle was also cast into wherever that element of spaces, right? Her career was destroyed, right? ESPN, excellent at destroying careers, almost as good at destroying careers as it is at building them. And Beatle ended up back doing the San Antonio Spurs, right? Uh, After she was basically collecting a paycheck to do nothing, which is the worst thing that can happen to you in this industry, right? We know that they're making money anyway. You know, you're able to go on vacation, but you lose your relevance completely. And so, you know, Beetle can't just go back and say, I'm going to go, you know, host a show on TNT. She's doing Spurs broadcasts occasionally. Mm-hmm. And she's rich. Don't get me wrong. The money, I'm sure, makes it all okay. But, I mean, if you have any competitiveness in you, any competitive fire, any desire to be at the top of your game, and I know Rachel Nichols does, there's no doubt about that, uh, it's damaging to be sitting around idling for months collecting a paycheck to do nothing. You think about all the people ESPN laid off. Man, ESPN, I know I've said it before, they are really good at destroying careers. Because think about how many extremely talented people they laid off and then your choice is you can either keep working and stay relevant or collect the same amount of money you were making and lose lose everything. You don't ever hear about John Clayton anymore. Andy Katz, you barely hear about. 
you know, um, somebody, uh, Ron Jaworski, Jaws. Jaworski, out. thank you. Mark, That's a good Mark one. Mark May, Mark May set out for three yes. or four years now off to college football yes. is another example. I mean, these guys are ruthless over there, man. And so many of these folks, like they were loyal. They were there. They were flying from the, uh, from the Orange Bowl to the Rose Bowl in 24 hours time, right? They were taking those red eyes, man. ESPN, man, these these guys are really, really, they're something. Uh, they they are sharks. You know, if you ever saw the South Park version of Mickey Mouse, that's kind of that. That's that's the version of Disney that ESPN is to its employees. Okay. Love uh, all of this from John Lewis. Uh, we we missed this a week ago, but I'm bringing it back in 22. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Subject number one along these lines. They concluded the Manning cast with Peyton and Eli Manning for the final Monday night uh, broadcast that ESPN was going to have of the regular season from this past Monday night with the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game, the Big Ben farewell, it looks like, for him with the Steelers as his final home game. Uh, They did have the commissioner, Roger Goodell, on, which was interesting. They were talking to him about his football career in high school and talking to him about being booed and Uh, They kind of uh, playfully jabbed at Goodell, and Goodell playfully jabbed back at both Peyton and Eli in that instance. Uh, On the love it or leave it now, apparently uh, the Major League Baseball folks at ESPN are contemplating an A-Rod version of this. On the face, on the premise, are you love it or leave it that an A-Rod, do we need this, an A-Rod cast like the Manning cast for Sunday Night Baseball or otherwise? People really hate A-Rod, and that's the difference. You know, I mean, that's just the difference. A-Rod is a different kind of guy. He's strange in a lot of ways, you know. Uh, and uh, the problem is Sunday Night Fo- Sunday night Baseball is already the A-Rod cast. It's already sit down for three hours and A-Rod dominates, you know. Matt Vaskersian wasn't even there the past three years, right? I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And I think A-Rod could do a good job with it. I think he's really good on the Fox studio. You want to know why? Because David Ortiz is there to make A-Rod more palatable to people. And Kevin Burkhart is there and Frank Thomas. And that's a really strong group that they put together over there at Fox. You know, A-Rod being the main guy is going to infuriate people. And especially if you're replacing, you know, as I imagine they would have to, you're replacing the stat cast that they have with Benetti and Eduardo Perez and you're replacing that with A-Rod. I mean, people are just going to be furious at that. So I think, I mean, if it gets A-Rod out of the main booth, maybe that's worth it because A-Rod is a studio analyst, not a game analyst. That is what ESPN has learned over the past few years. He is a studio analyst who brings the studio analyst style of conversation to the booth. For baseball, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I mean, it's just three straight hours I mean, if the Fox Studio show was three hours, it would not it would not last. Right. No one can no one can deal with that. Well, and uh, again, it makes you long for the days of John Miller and Joe Morgan calling the game with the different stories, or Joe Buck and Tim McCarver. McCarver as the analyst, uh, highly entertaining uh, to listen to. A Rod again, I think, just strikes a lot of people as fraudulent. They don't they don't believe in him. They don't believe in anything he's saying. Uh, so he is a non-starter almost for a lot of people. So we'll see how much uh, ESPN chooses to do that. 
Let's go with another topic. Love it or leave it. Bowl games. I'm curious, besides the college football playoff, did you watch some of the Rose Bowl, which was a thrilling high-scoring game? Did you watch any of the Sugar Bowl that night where Matt Corral, the, the uh, Ole Miss quarterback, got hurt right away? Like right after the Herb Street stuff about, oh, these kids, they're d- diluting our product. You know, they got to think about their team and whatever. And Corral, the Ole Miss quarterback, did that. He's arguably a first-round pick, if not a top-ten pick. He gets himself hurt in the Sugar Bowl on ESPN right right against the point that Herb Street was trying to make a few hours earlier on the pregame show. Did you partake in any of this? Did you watch some of the Peach Bowl on the Thursday night uh, with Michigan State winning? Did you watch some of these bowl games this past weekend at all? Uh, no Peach Bowl. Uh, I did see the fight that happened after the Peach Bowl, that uh, infamous viral video, uh, but no, none of the actual game, like none of it. But of course, I did watch the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl because those were events on an event day. You didn't have to take time out of your schedule to watch the Rose and the Sugar Bowl because it's New Year's Day, and that's when you watch college football. You did have to take time out of your schedule to fit the other two bowl games in the semifinals on New Year's Eve when you're spending the whole day trying to get everything set up for whatever New Year's Eve event you have going, trying to finish up things because it's a Friday and it's a Friday of a holiday weekend. So if there's anything that you need to get done, that's when you're trying to do it. Just ridiculous not to have the the major bowl games on New Year's Day. But it worked out for the Rose Bowl because it had nearly as big a rating as the semifinals. And it was a great game. And, you know, that's the other difference, too. It was a great game. You know what the SEC teams don't do? They don't play good games because they they come in, they dominate everybody. And there's no bigger drag than watching an SEC team in a major bowl game. I mean, it's just it's like when the Warriors got too good. And, you know, everyone gets mad when you suggest that you can be too good. Like, you know, anyone who said, well, you know, UConn, the UConn women are really making this hard to watch. And people go, oh, how dare you? Well, that's because this is an entertainment product. And you don't want to see one team just beating everybody all the time. And let me tell you, the Brianna Stewart era UConn women were bad. They won 111 straight games. That was bad for the game. It was bad for the game from a ratings perspective. Maybe not necessarily from the perspective of growing the game. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it was just from a ratings perspective, and that's all I'm talking about here, it was bad for the game. When the Warriors got to the point where they were the only team, it was not as bad for the NBA as when the Brianna Stewart, uh, UConn women were dominating, but it was bad. Like, you know, that was a very top-heavy era of the NBA. There was only one team people were watching. You know, and let's uh, uh, let's relate it, though, when Michael and the Bulls were going for the three peat and the last dance and all that, it was phenomenal for the NBA and the interest different era, different time. When the Cowboys finally got good again and became the Cowboys in the early 90s with Aikman and Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and the uh, the brash owner, Jerry Jones, it was really good for growing the NFL when they won the three championships in four years. It, it just kind of depends. And I understand what you're saying, though, that that fatigue can uh, can set in especially with the sec what what i would say is that the bulls always made you think they could lose there's this weird revisionist history they all act like jordan and the bulls just ran through everybody five of their six finals went six games they should have lost in 98 to utah and they should have lost in 93 to phoenix 
they absolutely should have lost both of those series. Um, so I don't know. Okay. I'm going to push back. I don't know about the really? 93 series to Phoenix. They won both games in Phoenix to start the series. That's not an accident. Lost, That's not a fluke. When you win them both, they lost two out of three in Chicago. And then they had what? Nine points in the fourth quarter until Jordan, hit, uh, excuse me, until Paxson hit the three at the end. That was a really good Phoenix team. And I would say that that more than anything was the, if there was any one year where you look back and you say, the Bulls really got away with one. And honestly, I don't say that as a dig. I think the 93 Bulls are the most impressive of all of those teams. In a lot of ways, they were love-hate. Lakers, yes. Alabama football, Duke basketball. The Cowboys became the Cowboys again. And a lot of people loved to hate them when they were winning again. And that drives ratings. That drives business. And that's the whole point of the bowl games uh, that we that we started off on this subject in Alabama and and uh, and Georgia, in this case, have been very dominant this entire season and again in the Bulls. One final thought? Yeah, because, of course, the original question was, have I been watching the bowl games? And I kind of went off on this long tangent. Yeah, I mean, I watched the ones on New Year's Day. I watched the semifinal ones. And I actually did catch, also on New Year's Day, the end of Iowa-Kentucky was pretty good. You know, I watched the bowl games when you're supposed to watch the bowl games on New Year's Day. That's the day for the bowl games. Every other day is yeah, people don't people don't realize before all this mega money and spread the games out that there would literally be like 11, 10 or 11 games on New Year's Day. And, and usually in the early part of the day, there were sometimes four of them going on at the same time where you had to have the multiple TVs and see what was happening. So always good on that time for one more real quick. Love it or leave it binge watching of shows big during the holidays. I'm curious if John Lewis, not necessarily sports of sportsmediawatch.com, Did you binge watch anything? Uh, seasons catch up anything. I'm, I'm, well, I'm looking you know, for the reaction. Anything? Well, you know, look, uh, we always watch a lot of Frasier. Uh, you get all the Frasier Christmas episodes. I uh, got my uh, golden girls in before Betty White. There passed. we go. Yep. You know, uh, that show still doesn't, isn't it amazing. That show still works 35 yeah. years later in terms of comedy, oh, the absolutely. writing, the acting, it all works. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. Uh, golden girls is probably closer to I love Lucy chrono chronologically than it is today. Uh, but it still seems pretty modern. I think that's a color TV difference, right? Any show that aired in color TV kind of looks modern. I mean, maybe not Mary Tyler Moore, right? And, you know, right. family. Once you get to the 80s, Family Ties looks totally modern. You know, Wings looks modern. Uh, and uh, a lot of these shows are really old, right? You know, I mean, Michael J. Fox is 61 years old. Alex P. Keaton is 61 years old. <laughs> it's amazing. So, it's amazing yeah. how uh, everybody on the Cosby shows in their 40s or 50s. I know, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, um, with even that. crazier so, that... Well, I was going to say even crazier that the matri the patriarch of the show is in prison for a few years there yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, I probably shouldn't have brought that up, but it just you brought up the Cosby, the Cosby show. show. The sure. The first thing so, that comes to mind. So I'll hit you with one more at the de at the time we're taping uh, here midweek, right after New Year's. Robert Duvall is 91 years of wow. age. That is incredible. Barbara Eden Genie turned 90 at the end of 2021. Captain Kirk. William Shatner turned 90 
Are we that old? Captain Kirk's 90, Genie's 90, and Robert Duvall, Tom from the Godfather movies, is 91. Uh, incredible. Uh, I'm feeling old. I'm just, I'm curious. Some people could give us some feedback. Mrs. Reeves, my wife is trying to get into Yellowstone and watch it from the beginning. They just concluded the fourth season. I have not gotten into this. I've not seen it. She wants to start binging. I don't know. They can give us some feedback. Have you seen even a, se- a single episode of that or at all or no? Yellowstone, I I've heard, seen, supposed to be great. I've seen the ad for Yellowstone that runs before Frasier starts on Paramount Plus. So I've seen that. <laughs> but, you know, hey, I think Yellowstone's a big hit. Uh, it's it's interesting to me because it gets 50,000% more viewers than Succession with n- not nearly as much media coverage. Uh, I don't, I've never seen Yellowstone or Succession, but I just find that very interesting. Succession is very good. And I know it's HBO and it's a niche, but it's very good. I don't know about Yellowstone. And I'm four years behind now. I'm four seasons behind to get started well, I, on that. I still got to get started. Uh, I got to get started on what's that show with the guy, Bob Odenkirk? But the Breaking Bad spinoff, Better Call Saul. I got to get oh, on Better that. Call Saul. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't even, I, I know I'm, I'm breaking things here that, that, that kind of out me. I never watched Breaking Bad. I know it was, it was good with Brian Cranston, but I never saw it. I know of it. So much less right. do I know Better Call Saul. I don't know that either. Well, I got to get on that. But the, the one show that I can actually say that I've ever binge watched other than American Dad, uh, you know, I am I am a dadder. You know, it's not something you want to admit, really, because you never want to admit being a, a fan of a Seth MacFarlane show. But I mean, American Dad, I'm buying seasons of American Dad. I'm not buying Hulu. I'm buying actual American Dad seasons so I can watch them whenever I want. But the one show that I've ever actually binged, where it wasn't just me watching reruns, but new material, was actually Cheers, believe it or not. Uh, I never got into Cheers. I was big into Frasier. Uh, and so I didn't even realize that Frasier had been around for nine seasons on a completely yep. different show. Yep. Uh, and so uh, what, what really turned me off of Cheers was the intro. I assumed because of the kind of emotionality of the intro that it was one of those shows with a lot of sickly sweet moments like the Waltons or something. <laughs> I didn't realize it was actually a very funny show. Right. Uh, so uh, I, I was and, watching. And you've now been there. You've yeah, now no, share I, that with the podcast exactly. audience hearing is now you've now been there to the Cheers bar in Boston. Share more about that real quick. Yeah, no. In my uh, my trip to Boston last year, I uh, did stop by the Cheers bar uh, and took my picture outside uh, under the sign, as I'm sure many people have done over the years. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I got into it. I, 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 I was watching it late one night, probably like 2013 or something, working on stuff. And I never really sat down to watch it before. And I realized, hey, this is actually pretty funny. Uh, this was the Rebecca version of the show, mm-hmm. uh, which I, 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 you know, Shelley Long is a better actress than uh, Kirstie, Kirstie Alley. Alley, right? But Re- the Rebecca version of Cheers, in my view, is the better version. It's it's zany. It's very funny. It's not overwhelmed with this will they or won't they with Sam and Diane, which you know originally was really you know exhilarating. But by the time you get to season five, it's like en- enough already, right? With, uh, with that, will they or won't they? But yeah, cheers. I watched probably all 11 seasons in the span of maybe like two years or something, so. Wow, 
you did binge a lot there on that. And again, I'm four seasons behind on Yellowstone if we get into that. Uh, John, we've come to the end of another SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Anything else in closing here on our first one of the new year that uh, you're looking at, whether it's ratings-wise, news-wise, something else, anything else? I'd say the NHL Winter Classic did a lot better than I was expecting. I didn't think it would get a million viewers. It got 1.4 million. Least watched Winter Classic ever, which obviously, you know, you're going from NBC to TNT. But it was a record for an NHL game on cable. That says a lot about the NHL's drawing power, that they could get people to do something that they don't do. People don't watch the NHL on TNT yet. That habit has not been established. They don't watch the Winter Classic in prime time when the Rose Bowl is like at its peak, right? In terms of viewership, people don't tune in to the Winter Classic uh, during the Rose Bowl. The NHL got people to do both of those things. That says that there's a core audience for the NHL in this country that may be a little bit bigger than we have been thinking. Well, the, hockey, I mean, the hockey audience is hardcore. They will find yeah. it. The niche is there. Can they ever grow the niche? We've been wondering that for 25 plus years and by the way nbc did extinguish nbc network the sports network the cable network that had been the home of the nhl for for more than a decade uh synonymous with that network it's gone now the usa network has gobbled up some of the other programming and some of the other stuff that they had on that network but we bid bye-bye to nbcsn back a few days ago at the end of the year yeah, I would add, by the way, another reason why the numbers were so impressive, the NHL has canceled 500 games already this season. It's actually a smaller number than that, just slightly, though. Uh, and, you know, I, I mean, buying, the league, at this point, I'm punchy. I was buying your number there because they canceled a bunch that they've yeah, got to they try have. to make up so much so that they're not going to have the pros in the in the Olympics for the hockey oh. because they've got to try to use those two weeks to make up games, John. Exactly. Exactly. So the fact that people were willing to tune in when that was going on, all these games are canceled. There's no buildup, new channel, new time, tough competition. 1.4 million is pretty good. Uh, to add on that just really quickly, because we didn't talk about it, the NBA Christmas numbers, obviously not ideal by any stretch. No game got 6 million viewers. Uh, Nets Lakers got crushed. Warrior Suns got crushed. But ultimately, uh, even though I'm sure at this point the NBA is probably back down below 2019 because of the impact, not just of the Christmas numbers, but also they had a Pacers heat game opposite some rescheduled NFL that did really poorly. So those two nights alone probably put the NBA back below that 2019 pace. But I think it's been a pretty good season for the league, and I like what I'm seeing out of Chicago. That is a lot of potential come playoff time. Chicago, Golden State if the Lakers can ever put something together and win a series, you know, there's some potential there for the NBA and NHL as we start the year. Fair enough on all these points. John, thank you as always. We appreciate you hopping on uh, here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. And uh, we'll see what happens on the final weekend of the NFL regular season, as well as the Monday night college football, Alabama, Georgia championship game. Again, you'll be writing all about the ratings, uh, the news items, anything that's pertinent on sportsmediawatch.com. Uh, John, thank you. Appreciate it as always. Hey, no problem. Thank you. There's John Lewis. Find him at Paulson underscore SMW for Sports Media Watch. Paulson underscore SMW, sportsmediawatch.com. Again, subscribe or follow us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. For now, we're good on this edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Bye.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.